All right, well, why don't you guys go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And last week we saw that there was a radical call to humility. That we aren't to be people of, who are prideful and God, Jesus was, was, uh, was creating a, a group of guys who one day they would uh, fast forward 2,000 years later, we would have the same truth in our hands called the Bible and he was creating a kingdom culture. He was creating a culture even amongst these men who then would share the gospel uh, to all nations. Um, and they would do that faithfully. And throughout the ages, throughout the last 2,000 years, there would, that message would be passed down. But not only that, but a way of life. That, it's, that we are called to be a humble people. That we are called to, this week as we will see here shortly, we're called to be pure, called to be holy. And these are some strong words from Jesus. And really, there's, only, there's, there's two simple points in what we are to avoid. And then there's the third point is uh, who are to be. We're to be a, a living sacrifice. We're to use our whole bodies for God's glory. But these two things that we are to avoid are so important. And they are two things. It's very simple. Do not cause others to sin. And do not tolerate any sin in your life. It's very simple. Jesus isn't into confusing people. He's saying, look, I am building a church. And I want my people to understand how to do that. It is through the message of the gospel, but it's also through holy lives. It's through humble lives. As the guys did a great job this summer of going through the relational resolves. You can go ahead and look at that online if you missed it. But that's who we are. You know, I've, I thought about, you know, I thought about even this vision on this little scratch piece of paper where I have all over my, my house. <laughs> it's just how I roll here. Um, I do have an iPhone, but th- this also helps. But I'll just be writing these things down. And, and I, you know, you go to church to church, right? I mean, you could, you could go in and, and, and probably go in to, and collect a bunch of bulletins this week from, from different churches. I guarantee they'll all be kind of the same. So we're here to love God. You know, we're here to love people. And we're, we're here to reach out. And they got some pretty fancy ways to do that, right? Look up, you know, look in, or whatever, look out, you know, look over, you know, whatever. <laughs> so there's just like lots of different ways to do that. And, but what I found, though, is it's not, just a, it's not just a clear vision of like, hey, this is where we're going. We want to be these people. You know, we want to love God. We want to, you know, get in our Bibles. And we want to have life group and community and all that kind of stuff. But how do we actually do that? Who, who are we? Are we, are we? We need to be a humble people, a, a joyful people, people who don't complain and grumble. You know, Philippians, it says you're going to be light. And the way you are light is to not grumble and complain. It's interesting that he just said that that's how you reach a, a perverse generation. It's because there's going to be a lot to complain about. And so when there's a people who love God and love people and they do church, but they're also marked by humility and they're marked by joy and they're marked by honor. They actually respect one another. They don't gossip. They encourage. People of grace. When people mess up in this church, when, you, when your roommate messes up, what's the first thing you want to do? Judge. And Jesus said it very simply. You judge, I'll judge. <laughs> it's pretty simple, isn't it? But if you show grace and you forgive, 
Well, then, my friend, I will show you that. He's very simple, isn't he? Straightforward. You don't even need to know the Greek. It's just the English is simple enough, right? I mean, you know, it helps. But it's straightforward. The Bible is meant for grade schoolers to pick up and read it. It's the way it should be. He's not trying to make it complicated. He wants us to understand. He's putting the cookie jar on the, on the lower shelves where we can all have a bite. Get our fill. And so he starts off with this in verse 42. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better off for him if with a heavy millstone around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. It's pretty harch words. Saying, look, I, I just rather you die a horrific death than even dare cause somebody to sin. Throughout all of Scripture, God is known as a true shepherd who protects his sheep. He not only knows his sheep, he not only feeds his sheep, he not only leads them in green pastures besides still waters, but he protects the sheep. And as elders, we went away this last three days in uh, the beautiful Melbourne, Florida. And we were there in the city in a hotel and we were just knocking out the vision and, and uh, hearing from one another. We each got to, to, to speak an hour um, and, and just listen to the guys, each individually. There's 13 of us for three days and just hear their hearts about how they're doing in these areas, personally with God, family, in their marriage, in the job, and in ministry. And then we got to give them feedback. Hey, this needs a little shift here. This little, and then we got to encourage them and pray and love on them. It was an incredible time. We've been doing that now for the, the last couple of years now. And it's just, we're, we already have the next one scheduled for February. You can pray for that. And just every six months, just we need that. You need that. You need to know that, that we're doing that um, so that you can pray because these are shepherds and, and they, they, they want to know you on a micro scale, a macro scale in their life groups. They, they, they want to feed you the word of God. Uh, again, micro and macro, I mean, in life group and in discipleship and then also on Sunday morning. And, and there's a teaching team rising up. It's incredible what God's doing the last 11 years. But these are shepherds. And Jesus, we're just, we're just mimicking the great shepherd who knows his flock, who, who feeds his flock, who leads them in, in, in a vision according to the word of God. And not only that, but he protects his flock. And we're called to do that. And he doesn't mess around, does he? Even in this passage, he says, don't you dare cause one of my sheep to stumble because it'd be better off if you're dead. And, and I, don't you love a dad who doesn't mess around the house? It's like, look, you touch my kids, you're done. Right? I mean, I, I, Ella's going to probably remain 11 for the rest of her life. I know that. It's, I have a unique situation as opposed to, to your daughters. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> but there probably will come a day uh, I hope. I try not to cry about that, even the thought of it. Um, there will be a day, I'm, I would imagine, uh, that, that 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 dude will come around. 
And, and, and you know, it's like protect time, you know, like all her life. And now this is, this is where it really counts. But one of the things I pray for my kids as I run around the block, man, I've been praying this for years. I don't even remember how long I've been praying this for. But I pray that our kids, you know, you, you know going through the vision and values, I pray that they'd be in discipleship and life group. And I pray that they would know you and fear the Lord and all those things. And going through the relational resolves, each one of them. But one of the things that uh, I felt led to pray for a long time is I pray that they would, they would meet a spouse that loves the Lord that, from a household that, is, uh, that does it much better than we have. That they, they would, I mean, when I meet the father-in-law, I'm like, man, dude, you lead this church, you know? It's like I pray weird things like that. Like, <laughs> it's like I just have these visions in my head. And it's like, this is how it's going to go, you know? Um, but I do, I, you know, you, you want to protect your kids. You, you want to protect the flock from the bad guys. And, and, and look, Acts 20 says there are going to be wolves who come in. And we saw our fair share in the last three years. And it's, we've had to come down strong in certain times because we don't want our daughters dating anybody. You know, and so we have to. It's, 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 and, and if you need more proof of that, look at Genesis 12, 3. It says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. I've watched God defend the weak. I've watched him defend leadership. I've watched people lose miserably. I've watched people walk, I mean, just with a tail between their legs and just they, they thought that they would be able to come and, and hurt the flock. And now they're miserable. Because you cannot mess with God's people. I mean, he says that right here. Psalm 105, 15, do not touch my anointed ones. And to my prophets, do no evil. Now, of course, that could be abused, right? I mean, you could have abusive kind of leaders like, hey, you better not, you know, I'm going to do my thing. And then you can't, you know, you can't get away with that with 13 elders. I mean, eventually something, you know, the the bad egg is going to be found. And so there's a a place, a plurality of leaders that God has called us to in the church. And Zechariah 2.8 says this, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Isn't that a beautiful passage? He's saying, look, if it's almost the saying like a dad to, to, you know, the, the future husband, bad guy, uh, you know, just, but it's like, look, you touch her, you touch the apple of my eye. She's mine. And that's how you deal, that's how you lead your family, and that's how you lead the church, because the Bible says how you lead the church is how you lead your family, how you lead your family to the church. Same. It's a household. It's a family. I've just laid that out earlier. So he says, he picks this up in verse 37. He says, how we treat believers is how we treat Christ. Because he lives in every believer. Remember he says that, you know, as, uh, as, as Paul was uh, you know, persecuting the church. He's like, why are you persecuting me? You're messing with my people. And therefore you're messing with me. What a great shepherd. What a defender of the weak. What a father to a family. That's who he is. That's who God is. And, and he says that in Matthew 25, 34 to 46, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did 
one of these things to the brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. It's one of the same. And when you cause another brother to stumble, you are messing with Jesus. And I'm thankful for these passages. Yes, it does provoke the fear of God. That is, that is the point. <laughs> but it's, it's good. It's because it, you could see the family aspect to the Bible, to how Jesus sets this up. It's not, yes, it's an army of soldiers going to the nations to bring the gospel. Yes, I mean, there's different, I mean, there's the farmer illustration in Timothy, right? There's the, there's the athlete in illustration. I mean, we need to, do, uh, you know, beat our body and you know, we're an athlete, we run the race, we want to finish the race. I mean, there's all these illustrations, but I love that the, the, my favorite one is the shepherd sheep. I love the family father illustration. It's my favorite. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight to 29 says, apart from all these external things, I mean, Paul was getting beaten up. I mean, he, he, he was sick. He was traveling all over. He was shipwrecked. I mean, he's like, you know, these, these things, I mean, remember that list? It's like, let's just skip that in our Bible study and move on to the next one. And, and, and apart from all those external things, is the daily pressure of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? You can just see this is the heart of a pastor. This is the heart of God. Who is made to stumble without my being concerned? Like when someone stumbles in this church, we're all concerned. When someone's hurting in this church, we're all, we're all should hurt. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that in the body. That's how we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what it means. That's what it means to be a family. So it means to do church. But he is warning people, please do not do this. Do not cause someone to trip. It is better off they die a horrible death. 1 Corinthians 13 is clear. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. We should never want others to stumble. We should never want others to sin. And we should never cause others to sin. 1 Peter 4.8 is very clear. Keep fervent in your love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. I'm going to give you just two, I'm just going to be real practical, two direct are two uh, ways we tempt one another. And I think we should avoid this. This is going to get really practical because Jesus is saying, look, I, I don't want to just say like, it'd be better off you die if, if you cause someone to I, I want to get practical with this. There's a direct temptation and an indirect temptation. So direct temptation is when we entice someone directly to sin. This is when uh, it's kind of like Potiphar's wife. He looked with, she looked with desire at Joseph. And this is what she said, lie with me. She is directly causing somebody else to sin and be judged by God. Another way to do that is, you know, Solomon warned, when sinners entice you, do not be willing. That's from Proverbs 1.10. It's a very good one. It starts off with very, I, I, if, I think a lot of you young guys should read Proverbs over and over and over again. I, I did that when I was younger and I still do that today. Sturdy proverb. It's very practical. Proverb a day keeps the devil away. <laughs> I just made that up, you know. But, and then there's 31. They, you know, there's even, you know, some months have 31. And, you know, February, you know, just read, you know, read extra. So, but it's very practical. Very, very practical. Um, talking about uh, Proverbs 6 and 7, about the, the warning of seduction on the side of the woman. Do not seduce men. And men do not be seduced by, by the harlot. It could save you your life because it leads to death. 
Many men have suffered that, that pain. Enticing people to lie, to cheat, to gossip. When someone even gives you advice, it's like, hey, you know what? No big deal. Just, it's fine. It's legal. You're enticing someone to sin. You're enticing someone to go against their conscience. Someone might be, have a weak conscience. And then you're causing them to sin. Causing them to, to stumble, to trip, to fall, to commit theft, Sexual sin, it's okay to cheat a little bit on the taxes. It's fine. I've done it. You've done it. It's all good. It's all good. No one's going to know. It's fine. There's grace, right? There's nothing in verse 42 that says there's grace. Now, we know there's grace. Let's just stick with this, okay? But there's nothing there that says grace. It's like you call someone to sin, this is the consequence. This is how I feel about it. I feel this way about this. About that poor, poor young one, that my, my, my child, the, 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 the person I've, I've saved, the person I put in my family. You're causing that person to stumble, to go against me. How dare you do that? That's what he wants you to feel that. He wants you to take that in for just a moment. Don't, don't just quickly go to grace. Oh, there's grace, 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 grace. We'll get there. There is a cross, there is forgiveness. But just let it sink. Because you'll destroy this church if you start doing that. And then there's the indirect temptations. A little more subtle. Probably a little more practical to us where we're at. How about this, fathers? Do you provoke your kids to anger? Ephesians 6, 4. You're not telling your kid, hey, go sin. But you're provoking them to a place. Or even, not even fathers to kids, but also even roommates to roommates. You know what, you know what buttons to push and to press that would cause them to be provoked with anger or offense. And lash out and you're like, man, you're angry. So because you provoked me. We've all been there. It's being overbearing as a dad. It's being overbearing. It's being frust- it's, it's frustrating. It's, being, it's not forgiving. It's lack of attention, lack of kindness. This causes people to sin. Knowingly and unknowingly. Maybe even another one is setting a negative example. Is, is, it, 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 you know, to your boss, it's, you're a, you're a Christian. You're walking in. You're supposed to be salt and light. And, and, and in an indirect way, you're causing that boss to sin. Because th- you're giving them permission in your ways that you know aren't right. Parents, same way. You can do that to your kids, indirect way. Roommates, life group leaders. Kind of an insensitivity to people's needs within the life group. You're causing everybody else to be like, say, you know what? Yeah, when we hear a need, we just kind of talk about it, move on. No one does anything about it. Calling, causing people to be selfish with their resources. There's so many different ways. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. But Romans is clear. Romans 14, 13. Do not put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And he also says it this way in, verse, in chapter 15, verses 1 and 3. We who are strong ought to, ought to bear the weakness of those without strength. There are new believers in this place. Know that. Act in light of that. They don't know everything you know. 
It's, it's just like saying to a teenager, you know, I have a teenager, and I also have a toddler. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I have, you know, a seven-year-old. And 15 and a seven-year-old, they're, they're, they're totally different, right? And so it's, you're constantly saying, hey, set a good example to them. Because this guy is weaker. He doesn't have a full knowledge of the Bible. He doesn't have an understanding. His brain isn't developed fully. And you could cause him to sin and be judged by God. Because everyone has, every man has to stand before God. It's not like you stand for each other. You could see the helplessness and the weakness and, and Jesus is protecting those types of people in the house. And if you've been taken advantage of, just, just know that there is a God who is into protecting people. And if you are abused in any form of way or sexually or anything, God will judge that person, whether it's here on earth or for all of eternity. So you don't have to sit there wondering, where's the justice? Where's the ju-? God is a God of justice. So before you cry out for it, just be careful because what you're crying out for is perhaps for him to do that in your own life. So just pause, reflect, pray, and then receive and wait. So, let me read that again. We who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just what? Please ourselves. Isn't that good? Because just look at it. It says, for Christ did not please himself. We're not to just please ourselves. Go throughout life as like, I'm the only dude in the room. You're not the only guy in your workplace. Like everybody's watching you. It's amazing how they, just try, I mean, we're, we're listening to one story of one guy at, work, at the workplace. He had to transfer a job uh, and go to another branch. And he's like, man, you know, nobody, care. you know, like he's kind of like saying like nobody, nobody probably notices. I, I, I wasn't bold with the gospel. I'm not like you guys. And just like, I'm not like Mr. Evangelist guy. And I just, I, and, and, and John, the way you put it is that we're, we're called in the workplace primarily not to be an evangelist. We are not like, we're not like the boss is not like, wow, we just hired John the Baptist today. You know, this, that's not at all like how it works. No, we, we, we hired someone that lives for the glory of God, who works hard and works for Christ. They may not even have that language, but they do a good job. And part of glorifying God is actually doing your work. Like pressing the button, sending the email, talking to the guy, whatever. You're like, well, that's just not really holy. Well, it is to God. He calls that holy. That's like what he calls holy. So it actually matters. And so back to the story the guy was just saying, he's like, hey, look, you know, the, the, I, I, I'm so glad that you define it that way because I, that's where I want to get up. I want to get up and I want to go to work. And I just want to know that I'm glorifying God. I just want to, like, in my head thinking, did I talk enough? Did I say enough? And when he had to leave, every, people were, like, crying. So I can't believe you're leaving this place. You made such an impact on me. He's like, I didn't even, I didn't even do anything. But he did. He was a light. He was salt. He was a living sacrifice. He made his job count. We're like, man, that's the way to go. That's, that's awesome. And you know who you are because your wife's just like so excited right now. <laughs> She's like, yes. All those prayers work, right? And another indirect 
I guess temptation would be kind of the other side of things is not stimulating others to do good works. When you don't go across the room and pray for people and encourage them and pick up the phone and call them or write an encouragement card or, you know, there, there's a, there was a book recently that it was very interesting that 365 days, it was, a, it was, a, it was about a lawyer uh, who, is, who lost all his family. He was a typical New York lawyer, just, you know, about the money and neglected his family, lost his family, lost his wife, lost everything. And he said, look, I need to get this thing back. So he said, look, I'm just going to call one person a day and write a letter, one person who I'm thankful for. His life was transformed. He's not even a Christian. The power of encouraging people, thanking people. Like who in your life can you thank? Who can you be appreciative even in the church? You know, someone might be on the verge of like, hey, I'm going to do something really stupid. And boom, buzz, like the phone just, wow. I didn't even know like that person actually thought about me that way. It's like it changes the game, doesn't it? It's like, no, I just don't want to sin. In an indirect way, we could cause people to fall and stumble because we don't encourage people. We don't stimulate one another in good deeds. We actually don't show up to the game. Sunday's game time. We practice all week. We, we practice it. We live it out. And we come and we encourage each other here in the house. This is exactly how Jesus builds a dream team. Amen? Point number two is don't tolerate any sin in your own life. If we are not pure and we don't lead our own lives well, eventually it is going to lead to other people stumbling and falling. And it starts here. He says this in verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I think that's interesting because our, our hands, our feet, our eyes are really important. Our hands, we, we, we do things with our hands. Is it godly? Are we using our hands for God's work? Do we, do, thing, do, we, do we use our hands? We put our hand to the plow. Do we do God's work? Do we do kingdom work? We're using our hands to sin, to defile ourselves. Our feet, you know, I love, I love what Isaiah 59, 7 says, their feet run to evil. Do your feet run to evil or run to good? They run to good. And to say, God, these hands are yours. These feet are yours. These, these eyes are yours. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 says that our, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're to use our hands and our feet and our eyes for his glory. You know, Job make a, made, made what? He made a covenant with his eyes that I don't want to look at anything unpure, impure. I want to look at that. I don't want to lust. Whether it's after other people or things, coveting. Your eyes, it's not, it's not just a guy, it's not just like, okay, we're talking about lust now. No, no, it's coveting. It's mom staying home with her kids and another mom comes over and they got the better this, they got the better that. They seem to have it all together and, and they leave the house and they're like, you know what? I wish I had what they had. They just told about how their husband did this, this, and this. They brought him flowers. It's like the one time a year that they do that and they share the story. It's like, wow, you know. 
I just wish I had it like that, that person. I wish I had their beauty. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their car, their expense account. And Jesus is saying all that stuff will cost you eternity if you don't deal with it. He's not saying, hey, look, if you deal with it, you know, no big deal, you have grace. Like there's no grace in this chapter. There's like lots of worms and fires and, 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 and hands and feet. There's like nothing, there's like no gratia, no, 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 no grace. Nada. I speak lots of languages, if you, if you don't notice. <laughs> trying to learn Italian too, on top of all that. Romans 8.13 says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, you live, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, putting to death, underline, putting to death the deeds of the body, my hands, what my hands do, my eyes, feet, you will live. You will live. Colossians 3.5, members of your earthly body, Consider those members. Consider the body parts. What you do with your body matters. What you do with your mind. And I'll get to that in a moment, but consider it dead. You're no longer, Galatians 2.20, you are not living anymore. You're a slave to Christ. You don't get to determine what this hand does anymore. You get to determine what what your feet run to anymore. Remember that it used to be like this. You used to run towards sin. But now you're transformed and you run towards God, holiness, righteousness. You run to life group, to love on people, to stimulate one another in good deeds. In Titus 2.12, deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Deny, put to death, consider dead. Live sensibly, righteously, godly in this, in this present age. 1 Peter 2.11, abstain. See all these words, abstain, deny, refrain from. From fleshy lusts which rage war against the soul. This is, you are in a battle constantly. Every waking minute. And you're like, does it ever end? No, it does not. And you don't want that battle to end. Because it's still going whether you realize it or not. And when you're out of the game, when you're disengaged, You've already lost. And, and Jesus is saying, do not do that because he's using very strong language and saying, if you do not deal with this, when you die, you'll find the flames of hell. You might be thinking, man, isn't the battle, isn't it just like, I, I'm trying. Yes. Are you in the battle? Are you in the fight? When the thoughts come, are you like, hey, it's just a thought, man. And at least I'm not doing it. And then you start making little excuse, little excuse before you're full-blown doing it, whatever that might be. These eyes are yours, these hands are yours, these feet are yours. And let's just talk about hell just for a second because I think it's worth talking about. And just for the record, I think it's worth mentioning too that Jesus talked more about hell than heaven and no other person talked about hell more than Jesus. These are two verifiable stats from the Bible. That's interesting because a lot of times right in the workplace, like we, they, they kind of have a picture of who Jesus is. They're like, oh, my Jesus doesn't, doesn't talk about hell. What Bible are you reading? 
You know, people say stuff like that, right? At the workplace, they're kind of like this, my Jesus. They always like seem to use like my Jesus. Like how many Jesuses are there? I mean, it's like there's one Jesus. But I understand what they're saying. We need to eliminate everything that's going to keep you from being pure. We need to make no provision for the flesh. But hell is real. And I'll just give you a little background because I think it'll be helpful. He's talking about Gehenna. And that, that word is not Hades. Hades is just a place for the dead. So some people, and this is important for those who are maybe like thinking uh, the annihilationists. You know, there, there are people out there that believe there's no such thing as hell. And you're just kind of, once you die, you just sort of vaporize. And you're, you, know, you don't have any, it's like sleeping. You don't have any conscience anymore. That's not, um, and he, he uses very interesting terminology here to make us know that this thing is not something that just kind of comes and goes. This is a forever thing, and it is horrific. In the Valley of Hinnom, in the Old Testament, the apostate Jews, sinful Jews, people who did not walk with God, they would sacrifice their infants to Molech. They would burn their babies. Pretty much not so much different than than. Uh, so-called Christians that go to abortion clinics, but nonetheless, they, they, they would sacrifice their babies to this god Molech, and they would burn their babies to death, and eventually this thing became, later on in the New Testament, became a garbage dump, and it would burn continually. And the idea is that, you know, these worms would eat the garbage, and they would burn the garbage as they do even now, and, and this worm would never die out. It would constantly eat this trash, and... The fire would never, never be extinguished. And Jesus is saying, it's hell is ceaseless torment for people who love their sin. It's hard, isn't it? But it's meant to wake you up. It's, 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 a, lo- it's a loving thing that Jesus is saying. It's like, look, I love you. I don't want you to just be tolerant of your sin. I don't want you just to be okay with it in your head. I want you to, to do something drastic. And he's saying, look, I mean, I, I, there, I mean, there were people I've, you know, years ago I, I, I read this somewhere and there are, there are maybe groups of people that kind of like, okay, if Jesus says this, we got to take him literally. Let's just chop the arm off here. You know, it's life group, you know, just kind of, I'm struggling. Just take it off. It's fine. There's a doctor at every life group just in case this is, this is uh, happening. Um, anesthesiologist, we got the whole mix. We, we're, we're, we're set for things like this, for these kind of application moments in, in life group. <laughs> no. I mean, just think about how silly that is. I mean, just like take a dude, cut off his arms, legs. It's like just, sit him, you know, what you can't, whatever they do, just kind of like right there, gouge out the eyeballs and just kind of, he still has his mind. He can sin all the way to death with his mind, with his mouth. So Jesus is obviously not saying that. He's saying, what are you doing drastically to take care of this sin? Some examples I know of guys who just say, you know what? I, I can't handle the internet anymore. I can't do this anymore. I need, I, need you, I need to give you my phone and you need to put a lock on it. You only know the passcode. I'm going to get this little deal called uh, uh, Covenant Eyes or whatever. And, and I... Um, you know, just, I'm going to do this, I, whatever it takes. I'm going to just have a, a roommate ask me every single day how I'm doing with stuff. 
Uh, maybe perhaps even credit cards. You know, people just tear up, the, you know, cut up the credit card. I'm not, I just can't do it. I'm a big spender. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. I, I don't know what it is, but what are you doing radically to eliminate this sin in your life? Because it will kill you. You kill it or it'll kill you. It will destroy your life. I've seen it happen over and over again. Whether it's just as innocent as gossip. It's like, hey, you know, it's just a little bit, you know, it's no big deal. Destroy relationships. A little bit is give an inch, take a mile. Exactly Satan's plan. But this worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He is giving us this warning. He challenges us many times in the outer darkness. He uses in Matthew 8, 12, furnace of fire. Uh, Matthew 13, 42, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirteen. Jesus talks about hell a lot because he doesn't want people to go there. Ryle says this, J.C. Ryle, he says, we need reflection rather than exposition in this passage. We don't just need to break this thing down. This is something you gotta feel. This is something you gotta just, just get some perspective. It should be pondered, considered, remembered by all professing Christians. It matters little, little whether we regard them as figurative or em- emblematic, symbolic. If they are so, he's talking about the worm and the fire and all this kind of stuff. Are they kind of symbol? He's like, one thing is really clear. The worm and the fire are emblems of real things. There is a real hell and that hell is eternal. R.C. Sproul used to say this. He said, look, I, I, if any Christian just thinks about hell for five minutes, they go loop. They go crazy. They go loopy. And I have. I've tried that. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to do that. Yeah, <laughs> you said it. It's just it, 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 your mind you cannot wrap around this concept. People can't get out. I remember talking to my kids and, and, and one of them asked, and they said, like, never get out. I was like, no, just think about the guy in, you know, that, that is in prison, got a life sentence, like 20 years old. He's going to live to 80. You know, his life sentence sometimes 50, 60 years old, and sometimes they do have a chance of getting out, so he gets out. It's like there's grace there. He gets out. He's been there for a long time, but he gets out. Hell's not like that. You never get out. Ever. Sproul says this, what makes hell so terrible for the condemned is that God is actually there. So many people on the streets I've talked to, they said, oh, you know what? Hell is cool. You know, God's not there. I'm just there. And we're just, you know, my friends will be there. We'll all just kind of hang out and drink and, and just chill. They have no clue what's coming to them. No clue. What a fool that says there's no God. No, he'll be there. And he in his wrath, it says, will be there. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. That's what makes hell so horrific is that he will be inflicting judgment and punishment righteously, justly on people who reject God, who hate God. So I want to ask you this. This is a little gospel sidetrack, a little just... Where are you going to be in 100 years from now? Are you going to be with those in agony? Are you going to be with those with joy? We're going to be in 1,000 years from now. We're going to be in 1 million, 1.5 million, 1 billion years from now. Where are you going to be? You're going to be someone a billion years from now. Everyone will be. Everyone who is born 
will be somewhere. In verse 49, he says this. He, in closing, he says, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So verse 49, everyone will, will be salted with fire. I'm like, I lost you now. I mean, if I was a disciple, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about now. I get the worm thing. I understand, you know, don't cause people to sin. I understand that, but everyone will be salted with fire. I have no clue. So I'll help, you, I'll help you make sense of this. In Ezra 6, 9, it says this, whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, lambs, etc., salt them for the burning sacrifice. So there's a tie here between a connection between salt and fire to sacrifices. Ezekiel 43, same thing. You shall offer the animal without blemish and throw salt on it and burn it to the Lord. Again, Leviticus 2.13, every grain offering is yours. Season with salt, season with salt. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying this, be a living sacrifice for God. Use your hands, Peter. Use your eyes. Jonathan Edwards, he said this, he's like, stamp eternity on my eyeballs at a young age, at a teenager. Because I want to know that my days are numbered. Psalm 90 says this, teach me to number my days. I want to present to you what? A heart of wisdom to God. Remember the vision. Stamp the vision on my heart, Lord. When I'm about to do something so stupid with my feet, so stupid with my eyes, my thoughts, that will lead to action. James says that it, does ne- it never, ever, ever, ever stays in the mind. Don't be foolish and think that. It's just in the mind. It will come out of your mouth. It will come out in the duties with your hands, your feet. It will. No one gets a freebie in that. Stamp this on my heart. Stamp this Bible vision on my heart. Stamp eternity on my eyes that I might see that, it, that, that one day, I mean, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says the same thing. It's just a different way. I want to make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are getting evil. It's not getting better on planet Earth. We need this vision. This, Jesus is giving them a vision for life. He's saying, look, I want you to be my disciples. But I'm telling you, the, Satan will tempt you with sin. And if you tolerate it in your life, it will destroy you. It will kill you. Not only that, so just be salt. It's a preservative before refrigeration happened. It was a preservative. The, the world can, at that time, for sure, and it's an illustration to today, the world cannot survive without salt. If all the Christians, you ever think about this? If all the Christians right now, just think like left behind for just a second. Tim LaHaye, let's go back there for a sec. Just everyone's raptured, right? Like, Pilot, United, Christian, he's gone. It's like the plane just, it's like kind of dramatic and all that, but just get rid of all the drama. Can you imagine being on, an, on planet earth with no believers? And God says hell is even worse than that because there's common grace on earth. It's crazy. We're called to be salt. Like we matter. 
Like if you live this way, if you, if you, if, if you live with pride, if you, if you continue to bicker and complain, John, remember in the last passage, you continue to compare uh, with other churches, you continue to, to, to be prideful, you continue to hide your sin, you, you continue to do that because you'll be no good for the kingdom. You'll be useless for the kingdom. And I want sacrifices in this house. And I want to salt that sacrifice. And I want to burn that sacrifice for the Lord. And he does that by, by saying, look, that the salt is a preservative. You're useful. You're needed. And the fire is a purifier. You can either be purified in hell or on earth. You can either allow God to purify all that sin, clean all that dross, or pay for it for all of eternity. And as Christians, we say, salt me and burn me to purify me and to preserve me on this earth. I want to be useful. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to be useful on campus. I want to be useful in my workplace. I want to be useful in the hands of the Lord. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 21 to 23, I want to be a pure vessel in your household. I don't want to be overlooked. Robert Murray McShane said, this is not great talents that God blesses. You might be sitting there thinking, man, I don't know why John hasn't picked me yet. I can do this much better. I don't know why I'm not picked because I, I, I got this amazing gift. You might, you might even be thinking that. It might be, it's just innocent. Just the pride in our hearts. God might, you know, it's not great talents that God blesses so much as the great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hands of a holy God. That is what you've been called to. We are radical witnesses for the Lord. Why don't we just take a moment just to even reflect on that and just say, God, is there anything in my life right now just that I'm tolerating? I've been okay with for months. Just been holding it in. It's how I treat my spouse, how I treat my kids, how I live in the workplace. I've just been a lousy Christian. There's grace for that. There's the cross. Go to the cross. I told you guys before, there's that place I used to go to right across the street from the football stadium. They had that cross and it would, the way the reflection, the way the sun would hit it, the shadow. I would just get into the, I, I, they would, I would see myself and I would see the cross. I just get in line with the cross so I wouldn't see myself anymore. I just, I, I, I want to cling to the cross. That's all I have. I want to be purified. I want to be salted. I want to be used by God. We've got to deal with sin. We cannot allow, we can't, we, we can't cause other people to sin. In what ways, in what subtle ways and indirect ways have we as fathers and mothers and leaders just cause, I mean, as they come over to our house, do they see a life laid down? Or are they just envious of what you have? Causing them to go spend too much. Causing them to think this is what life's all about. To live simply though. To be generous. To be used by God to be a living sacrifice. God, my life is not my own, it's yours. So Father, I pray that although it's sobering, it's good because you're building a house that lasts. You truly are building a transformed family that seek you, Jesus, that and before we disciple other people, we've got to get it right. You want, to, you want us to deal with this stuff. You want us to gouge out our eye. You want us to cut off our arm. 
You want us to do something radical so that we can remove ourselves from this sin that's going to destroy our lives and and ultimately lead so many others into the ditch. We don't want that to happen. Let not this be some sort of emotional thing. It's like it just changes here in a moment and then then later on it's just the same old, same old. But Lord, I pray by your spirit, would you change us and transform us? Make us look different. Teach us ways. Give us even practical ways. Perhaps maybe even uh, confessing that to, to a life group leader or confessing that to an elder or somebody that, that, they, that together they would help us have practical ways to avoid this sin so it doesn't destroy our life and we're in danger of hell because you've called us to live pure lives, humble lives for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. And may communion be a reminder of what you've done. It's a great reflection. It's a great thing that you've given us in 1 Corinthians 11. Father, I pray that as we take this, the bread and the wine, that we remember that your body was broken. There is no substitute but Christ for our sin. There's no other way to salvation but through Jesus. And that's why we come to church to hear the word of God, to be convicted by the word, by the spirit, but then to be comforted by the cross, by the resurrection. And we pray, Lord, that people will be transformed this morning by that and live holy lives set apart for you, the called out ones, the ones who look different than the world. Not because we have to, but because that's just who we are. We're not the same. We're not made of the same substance. We have a new heart. And may we burn for you and preserve this crooked and perverse generation. Be the only hope. In Jesus' name. All right, will you guys have taken communion with us?